0: Abolition, Abolition. today.
1: Slavery may sound like an issue of the past, but ballot measures in five states show it remains relevant in 2022. You might have seen this viral tweet out of Memphis announcing that slavery has just now been banned in Tennessee. Some people replied to that tweet saying, as surreal as it sounds, slavery remains technically legal in the vast majority of states. So is that true? Are some forms of slavery still legal in America? To verify, we read the US Constitution, several state constitutions, and the ballot measures in question. And we spoke with one of the lead supporters of those measures. The form of slavery that most people are familiar with in American history, where human beings could be considered legal property, is called chattel slavery. That was banned in 1865, when the 13th Amendment was ratified. But the text of the amendment contains a huge exception. Here's what it says, quote, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States, or any place subject to their jurisdiction.
2: And so what that means is that so long as you've been convicted of a crime, you can still legally be enslaved.
1: That's Bianca Tylek. She heads up Worth Rises, a group dedicated to prison reform. She says because of this exception clause, prisoners can be forced to work for little or no pay. So she and others are backing federal legislation to remove that clause. To do so would require another national constitutional amendment. Advocates are also working to change state constitutions, many of which have similar language.
2: Across the U.S., there are some states that explicitly allow slavery according to the same uh, exception clause in the 13th Amendment. Others are silent on the issue, which means that the 13th Amendment um, basically reigns for all of its citizens.
1: And that's how we ended up with ballot measures like the one in Tennessee and for other states in this election. Voters approved all but one of them. Three other states passed similar measures in the last four years. Prior to that, only Rhode Island had explicitly banned all forms of slavery.
3: Outside of those eight states, slavery is certainly legal.
1: So we can verify, verify, yes, some forms of slavery are still legal in America. Now, even in those eight states, prison labor has actually largely continued as normal. Many states argue that requiring prisoners to work or face punishment wouldn't legally constitute slavery those arguments will have to be hashed out in court but in the meantime advocates say removing any exceptions and unequivocally banning slavery is simply an important human rights issue with your verify i'm casey decker
4: By country. I believe in equality for right, everybody. Example. And why you the Congress we can't be out here like you, you said. Can we have a
5: That twist, it twist, it's Nana, me, and the kids We in the crib, it's a quarter past ten Where your brother at? Run up in his room, pull the cover back Where I'm from, niggas lead a porch And they don't make it back The Police life manna starts pacing Fuck the pigs want, what brings you here yeah. on this occasion? Ah, ah, ah. Boys been gunned down, the boys is having fun now with our blood and our sons disturbing the peace. He was more afraid of him when he's the one with the peace. Ah, a drop, she hollering, why God. Police leave, tell us it's nothing but their job. They profile us. Then they wonder why we grow up being prejudiced and so violent It trickles down from the rich to the poor They'll fuck with you cause they can't believe that it's yours Registration, I giddy these fucking street motivation. They wanna take us out so they start making allegations I'm fed up, police coming so we fed up My Nana told me fuck 12, keep your head up for us niggas living in poverty. 50 years later, we still don't have equality, it bothers me. Badges are passed to do whatever. So now we living in fear of the people hit the protector. Yo, they lying, disrespect us, kill us and then neglect us. The problem when nobody sees the view from my perspective. My people shed blood on the acres you had sold. Now my people shedding blood on the gravel left in the cold. Now these news to talking about the struggle. These niggas had it good. Never had a pat down up in they hood. Never had to take a charge. Never had to stop the car. Never had to hit the stand so you would never understand. want 100 I'll meet you at the top, just like a stomach My flows are abundant, I'ma make you sound redundant I really am a sire, bless the whip of the tires When I'm riding out, I hope them crooked niggas see me flying uh. Now
0: Abolition. Abolition. Abolition.
6: Abolition. 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 You just heard a news report from Verify. Yes, some forms of slavery are still legal in most U.S. states. And that was followed up by Tink, Tell the Children, and that's produced by Timberland. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, including when the Super Bowl is playing, at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain, and 4 Pacific. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Max Barthes. Peace, Max.
7: Peace, Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Coffee Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, ready to continue making history by airing uh, this never-before-aired speech of Frederick Douglass today.
6: That's right. And speaking of South Carolina, just a recap. In Columbia, South Carolina At this Capitol building On June 27, 2015 Thomas Washington Tribal Reign and Max Parthis Recorded the reading Of I Denounce the So-Called Emancipation as a Stupendous Fraud it was a speech given by Frederick Douglass On April 16, 1888 And it's been Broken down into nine parts We played five parts Last week and we have the last Four parts this week. They are powerful, eye opening, and moving presentations that can be used for educational purposes with students, viewing and conversation with friends or family, or just to show someone the truth. On a historical level, the readings were done June 27th at the South Carolina State House African American His- History Memorial. The day after Reverend and State Senator Clementa Pinckney, one of the nine victims in the June 17, 2015 shooting at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. That's when he lay in state at the Capitol, his body having to pass under the rebel flag. This was the same day and same place Bree Newsom cut the Confederate flag down just yards away. The monument where we recorded is one of the few in America dedicated to the history of the African diaspora. In the center of the display is a marble dais with the four stones of the four African nations where enslaved peoples in South Carolina originated, a direct connection to those ancestral lands. Our intention was to speak to the state and the nation using not our words, but those of a man who was arguably the greatest statesman we have ever known. His words ring true today, a sad truth that most have never heard, hidden and muted on purpose because it didn't fit the false narrative. The productions include news clips of current events at the time, which drive all of his points home like a prophet. So for Black History Month of 2023 – we will conclude the denouncement series on Abolition Today for the first time. Well, this week could be the second time, the conclusion of the speech in its entirety. So just as last week, the whole episode is the Bridging the Gap segment. So before we jump into tonight's topic, uh, Max, any updates on the week?
7: Oh, man, you know, there's always something going on. You and of I course. had a little bit of an adventure along with Abraham and Tribal Reign. Uh we mm-hmm. went met with Led Schlater. Um uh we supposed to meet in person, but we ended up doing it over Zoom, uh, because things happened. Uh, and right. uh set the ball ball rolling for North Carolina to join the uh the free states and remove their exception for involuntary servitude. Some of the things that I I learned during the research in North Carolina kind of blew my mind. Like, you know, here in South Carolina, we have 24 prisons at my last count, right? And it's one of, Mm -hmm. if not the largest industry in the country, me and the state, employing over 7,000 people. In North Carolina, which doesn't have the population of South Carolina, there are 57 prisons, more than twice as many as South Carolina, 57 freaking prisons. With about 80,000 people On probation and parole That's huge 80,000 people on probation and parole They got 100 jails Uh, They had Mm -hmm. About thirty to 34,000 people Who were in the prisons uh, Depending on where you get your count from And nearly Mm -hmm. 30,000 people Are employed by this uh, Prison system Nearly 30,000 people Almost got one per inmate (laughs)
6: And That's a, the cost They list the yeah. cost per Inmate as they call it uh, Almost $38,000 Each person Generates $38,000 In the year
7: Th- $38,000 Per person Times 30,000 people Or 34,000 depending on where you get Your information from uh, right. It's just a huge industry $2.2 2 billion budget At last count that we saw and that all came from the, uh, the government page of the, for North Carolina's prison systems, 2019. It's 2023 now, so all those numbers are likely higher, more than $2.2 oh, 2 sure. I suspect. Again, it makes South Carolina look tame,
6: <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, that's saying we, something.
7: Right. Even Louisiana don't have that kind of a budget. Louisiana's prison budget is less than a billion dollars a year. North Carolina's two billion plus. <laughs> yeah, right. I think the legislator was even shocked at those numbers because I saw his eyes widen when I said fifty seven prisons. He's like, What? Yeah, fifty seven prisons in North Carolina. Who'd right. have dunked? And yeah, a lot especially
6: of, when you have I was gonna say, especially when California has what is it? Thirty four 34, 34 prisons. 34, 34? And then you you see how big you're talking about a forty million, million. person mm-hmm. population.
7: Right. Uh incarceration nation basically, California, with forty million citizens, thirty four prisons. But Cal- North Carolina got almost twice as many as them. <laughs> Fifty right? seven prisons. It's nuts, man. Like how is that even uh, possible? And they do a lot of uh work, too, uh, for the government. As a matter of fact, we found a policy that uh, says exactly that. That's what they expect them to do. Um, Section 14826, State Policy Mm on Employment of Prisoners, effective January 1st, 2023. It is declared to the public policy of the state of North Carolina that all able-bodied prison inmates shall be required to perform diligently all work assignments provided for them, the failure of any inmate to perform such a work assignment may result in disciplinary action. So again, you got to sort it down over you. Don't don't say you know I hurt my, my my arm or I hurt my leg. I can't work today. You could end up uh, in the hole. You could end up losing privileges and rights. You could end up being fined. You know whatever. Right. That's great. That's forced labor.
6: That's like, the very definition of it.
7: What happened to the good old days When they used to tie a stick to our head With a carrot at the end <laughs> You know Now they using <laughs> to stick with my ass And push us forward
6: <laughs> Yeah It's it's, it's serious uh, Just want to make a couple of quick announcements uh, Recognize some dates So on February 11th 1990 Nelson Mandela was freed from the infamous Robin Island prison After serving 27 years That was during the apartheid era in South Africa, so February eleventh, nineteen ninety. Also, today is uh, as 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 uh, Nikki Giovanni would call him. She would say the Great Emancipator was a bigot. You know, it's the birthday of Abraham Lincoln, and it's believed to be the birthday of Frederick Douglass on February fourteenth, February fourteenth, eighteen seventeen, or some accounts. 1818, 18, the birthday of Frederick Douglass, uh, whose speech we'll be listening to again this evening.
7: Uh, one more birthday too. Uh, tomorrow is Danielle's birthday, my daughter, my youngest child ah, turns Danny.
6: thirty.
7: Yeah, Danny what? turns thirty tomorrow, and she's the youngest of the five She boys. can't
6: be. Wow, thirty. Yeah, the she She's like Rio's
7: a teen. Tomorrow. She was
6: like a teenager when I met her. You know, I think both of them—they were like twelve and thirteen, or something. Maybe even younger when I'm when when we first met in Patterson. They were very mm-hmm. young.
7: And, and you know, Danny's wow. raised up around all of this work from the beginning. Since so she was a little bitty baby, she's been to so many states with us and so many events. And even when she was pregnant, when you was with Sora last time, when we was in Charleston before Dean uh-huh. was murdered, and we were doing the uh, what was it called? Uh, America After Charleston That was where, the town
6: hall Yeah, the town yeah, hall for PBS
7: yeah. She she brought down uh, At that time, she brought down Montana Who was like three mm-hmm. years, four years old And she was pregnant With, I believe it was uh, Nene so, yeah, I don't know how you keep up around. with the
6: names That's 22 <laughs> names you have to keep up with Or is it 23 it's now?
7: It's 22 That's 22 a lot different A lot of
6: names To keep up with
7: Yes, indeed, it it was, man. So, all kinds of things been going on this week. Um, I want to give a shout out to Tink. I think you killed it in that song, "Tell the Children." That Mm -hmm. was awesome. And also, verify. Like, we literally have been verified. This is a news group whose only purpose is to verify whether or not something is true that people are talking about. And you heard what they said. We've been verified. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Like we already knew it, but a lot of times people don't believe something until a lighter person tells them, <laughs> you know, mm. well, there you have it. Mm. There you have don't it. He get just me told started. What <laughs> he just told you that we're verified that this is indeed slavery happening in the United States through the 13th amendment exception clause. It's no mistake that we have the largest prison population to have ever existed in human history right here in the United States. Um, and that brings me to what we're going to be doing today. You know, I said last week it was a very powerful experience just uh, participating in this because knowing that this was something that had been hid from us. Like I never saw this in school. You ever heard about this speech in school? If you're listening now uh, and you've heard about this speech before, uh, we brought it to your attention uh, or learned of it in school. Please let us know because I don't think anybody ever has. And I know I did a thorough search to find out if there was any recordings of it, and there weren't prior to us making it in 2015. So. Uh, to be able to echo his words centuries uh, a century down the line like that um, was very powerful. And now to air it live, on air, um, nobody else has done that either. Uh, and break right. it down as we go along so that you know what you've heard. Um, this was the most important speech he had ever made, um, I believe, in his lifetime. And it was the co- conclusion of his experiences after all that he had been through, including a civil war where his own children fought it. Uh, Where he was subject to the fugitive slave laws, where he had to escape to England and Canada and and Mm travel across Europe after all of that to say, no, this was all a lie. It was a sham. It was a mockery. And denounce it and ask for the press and the pulpit and the government to stand up against it. Um, That's just amazing. How could we not know this? Right. But that's a rhetorical question because it's the same Way you only heard about the "I Have a Dream" speech and only the part about how he wants his children uh, to sit at the table where they're judged by uh, the content of their character and not their color. That's all people know about Martin Luther King Jr., but they don't know all the other stuff. And we've shown you what he was about here on this program,
0: for sure. Far more than for that. Sure. <laughs>
7: um, we want some participation. So if you are continuing to boycott the. Uh, NFL and the Super Bowl like I've been doing for the past I don't know since 2017 uh feel free to join us here uh at Abolition Day and uh we'll have a conversation about what we'll be listening uh, it's 515-605-9814 that's the call-in number 515-605-9814 remember to press 1 on your keypad so that we know you have a question or comment uh what about your week Yusuf yeah
6: uh so pretty much that was the highlight of the week uh you know, it's always great any time, you know, me, you, and Tribe get the hook up, you know. So, yeah, we all got to hang out in uh, in uh, Chapel Hill, had some good food, and we got to talk, meet Abraham in With person. Abraham.
8: Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, got to meet him in person, get his good young energy. It's good seeing the youth involved in this movement. And that was pretty much the highlight of my week uh, leading up to... Today, you know, I'm looking forward to this second part of the speech, you know, but uh, Friday meeting with, uh, you know, the representative and just seeing that, you know, when we went into it, I kind of felt as though, oh, man, we're going to have to educate him. But it seemed like he did all of his work already, you know, and he was well prepared. And, of course, he, you know, let us know certain things and educated us on things. So I'm really looking forward to the next you know, year, you know, just, just the rest of this year, the work that we have to do and to see that, you know, that we have friends inside the house already. And so we're looking forward to moving that forward. So that was, like I said, that was the highlight of the week. And now I'm just ready to hear this second part. I do want to ask you, Max, because I'm not sure if I've met Thomas Washington. So can you, uh, give a little background on him, since he's the voice that we're going to be hearing uh, tonight, reciting Frederick's poem. Come speech. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah,
7: Thomas Washington, A.K.A. Thomas the Younger, is a well-respected and well-known painter and spoken word artist, uh, and basically genius. Like we've had some really deep, deep conversations about things people don't normally talk about. You know what I mean? Unless you're like a nuclear physicist or a philosopher or something like that. <clears throat> but yeah he, right. he is a, a Powerful artist as a matter of fact he did Or he's doing it's almost Done the mural right here On the wall of the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center oh so,
6: that's Thomas yeah, Okay that's okay. Thomas
7: that, that whole west uh, eastern wall Of the, the right. center that's Covered in, in his work that's him uh, Right there uh, Yeah we'll get him back on the program At some point too uh, and hear From him and what's been going on uh, He is an activist as well and tries to use his voice and his art and stuff like that to bring awareness to things, including abolition, slavery abolition. That is. Uh, that is. Matter of fact, we uh, looked like we had a hand up there a moment ago, but uh, it looked like it dropped. So let's go ahead and bring in anyway. I think that's uh, Corinne.
9: Hey guys. Hey
2: Corinne. I'm Ant- hey Corinne. Anti the Super Bowl too. You know me, a rugby girl, so I have to do- <laughs> boycott but i had a question for you Matt and yusuf do you guys ever think that they will have a frederick douglas movie do you think hollywood will ever think that this is the time for our youth to really know who he is because the more you go back to abolition today like you know the Sacker episode it's crazy how we're really not taught a lot of things and another thing i wanted to ask because i'm watching um 16 that one that came out on december 24th 2020 so sad so sad but so informational I wanted to know, do you guys think that they'll ever have a cap to – because, Max, you said on the show that there's not a cap for uh, mass incarceration. And I was like, really, right. there's not a cap? And I it's wanted okay. to know, is the only way to create a cap through abolishing the 13th Amendment? This show is deep. I know it's heavy, but it's deep. <laughs> but I wanted to know, is that is uh, that true?
7: Well – when you identify this as a crime against humanity then that automatically adds a cap to it with one being too many um so what we are doing right now is as i said in the, the panel discussion with freedom united is this is just watering down what's happening so it's no crime at all when it literally is a crime against humanity but if you just keep treating it as some kind of symptom or uh, you know something <laughs> As a thing, when it's not a thing, mass incarceration uh, and watering it down, what happens is they can do it as much as they want. As much as you'll tolerate is what they'll do. Mm -hmm. I think Frederick Ducks even had a quote about that. Uh, You know, if you want to find the limits uh, that tyrants will go, you basically find the limits that people are willing to put up to, put up with it. And that's that's it right there. Uh, So as long as we put up with it, they're going to keep doing it. And it is very possible. Uh, it's something that happened. Like, for instance, recently, right, they had these white supremacists out in Baltimore that were strategizing and planning to shut down the power grid. So this is a thing they're doing now to shut down the power grid and create uh, chaos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If they had been a member of the Black New Black Panther Party or one of the uh, Black Israelites – they probably have all of black America on lockdown right now, you know what I mean, while they weed out the bad ones.
8: For, uh, sure. For sure. Mass
7: incarceration will suddenly double uh, because we're all guilty by association, and there's no law to
6: stop <laughs> it from doubling. None. That's <laughs> right. And to answer the other question as far as the Frederick Douglass movie, uh, maybe we ought to pose that question to Ken Morris. You know, we've had Kenneth Morris on the show before, the great-great-great-grandson of Frederick Douglass. Because I'd be interested in that as well,
7: a Frederick Douglass movie. Several, there's been several movies, even back as far as 1968. Yeah, but you know what it is? He's
6: usually, he's usually never the main character. You know, say someone to play a role in the movie. But, you know, like a movie like they did Harriet. at least I'm not aware of one. You know, if they had one where it was literally about the whole movie was about Frederick. You know, there I would, are, I would love a, to see something like that. Sorry, I but
2: used to see just a bottom. He
6: Hold on, say Corinne.
2: What? Hold on, Corinne. Corinne. Oh, I just wanted to say in the movie I wish they described him as a wealthy black man because that's what he was. He was a, he used his wealth to aid other black um individuals renting to them where they weren't able to rent. So that's why I wish that there were a movie that depicted him, not just like they used to depict Harriet Tubman. Well, go on, guys.
7: Uh, go on. <laughs> I, I see we have another caller. I want to get to you, but uh, I just want to give you a heads up. We want to get to this first clip as soon as possible. So if you can keep your questions and comments as brief as you can, uh, you don't have to leave. <laughs> you can hang on with us, but we want to get to the first clip, and then we'll take more calls after. So, 11111, one, 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 one. <laughs> you're yeah, here. I have a today.
0: Yeah, no,
7: I'll get out of the way quick and let y'all get back to the,
0: you know, playing the clip. I just wanted to answer the sister's question. Yes, uh, yes. Be
7: careful ahead. what you <laughs> be careful what you ask for. If we're saying Holly Garima or somebody can make a Frederick movie, hey, that'd be a beautiful thing. But if you get that into the hands of Hollywood, yes, you have to understand they're going to take certain measures
10: to make the movie.
6: Great point. Uh, shout That's out a to great Judas point.
0: and the Black Messiah, where basically mm-hmm. uh, Fred Hampton Jr. You know, he just said after a while of them trying to stop them from doing certain things, or, or Displayed in a certain way, it just became untenable because there's only so much you can do as far as stopping what that Hollywood machine wants to put, you know, wants to propagate. So, honestly, hopefully Hollywood doesn't do it. But, yeah, if one of these independent black folks do it, yeah, I'm all in. I'm,
7: I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Right. Uh, the right. what's your name?
0: No, oh, this is Naj, man. I ain't talking to
7: y'all in a while. But, yeah, i right. And, Naj, what are you calling on? <clears throat> Atlanta. Atlanta. Atlanta Atlanta. All, right, okay. Atlanta, All right, let's go ahead and get into this
6: first of the four. Let's list. jump into the first track.
7: This will be part five. Uh, we did the other ones last week. This is Thomas Washington, and we talk about the landless Negro. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, and this is the second part of the speech by Frederick Douglass. I denounce the so-called emancipation as a stupendous fraud. We'll be right back after this.
0: Abolition after day
7: after day.
11: imposition upon the working classes of England. And we do well. But in England, this trucking system is abolished by law. It is a penal offense, and it should be made so here. It should be made a crime to pay any man for his honest labor, in any other than honest money. Until this is done in the southern states, the labor of the south will be ground to the earth, and progress with him will be impossible. It is the duty of the Negro, press. To take up the subject. The Negro, where he may have a vote, should vote for no man who is not in favor of making this scrip and truck system unlawful. I come now to another feature of Southern policy which bears hard and heavily on the Negro laborer and land rent. It is found in the landlord and tenant laws. I will read an extract to you from these laws that you make out completely and rigidly the rights of the landlord are guarded and how entirely the tenant is in the clutches of the landlord. Revised Code of Mississippi, section 1301. Every lesser of land shall have a lien on all the agricultural products of the leased premises. However, and by whomsoever produced, to secure the payment of the rent and the market value of all advances made to him, to his tenant, for supplies for the tenant and others for whom he may contract. Section 1304 when any landlord or lesser shall have just cause to suspect and shall verily believe that his tenant will remove his effects from the lease premises to any other place within or without the county before the rent or claims for supplies will fall due, so that no distress can be made, such landlord or lesser, on making oath thereof and of the amount the tenant is to pay and at what time the same will fall due, and giving a bond as required in the preceding section may in like manner obtain an attachment against the goods and chattels of such tenants. And the officers making the distress shall give notice thereof and advertise the property distrained for sale in the manner directed in the last preceding section, and as such tenant shall not, before the time appointed for such sale, give bond with sufficient security in double the amount of the rent or other demand payable to the plaintiff, condition for the payment of said rent or other thing at that time shall be due with all costs the goods distrained, or so much thereof as shall be necessary shall be sold by the said officer at public sale to the highest bidder for cash, and out of the proceeds of sale he shall pay to the plaintiff the amount due him, deducting interest for the time until the same shall become payable. Section 1361, said lien shall exist by virtue of the relation of the parties as employer and employee and without any writing or recording. Section 1362, provides that any person who aids or assists in removing anything subject to these liens without the consent of the landlord shall, upon conviction, be punished by a fine of not more than $500 and be imprisoned in the county jail not more than six months or by either such fine and imprisonment. Voorhees revised laws of L.A. 2D. Section 2165, Article 287 shall be so amended that a lesser may obtain a writ of provisional seizure even before the rent is due. And it shall be sufficient to entitle the lesser to the writ to swear to the amount which he claims, whether due or not due. And that he has good reasons to believe that the lessee will remove the furniture or property upon which he has a lien or privilege out of the premises, and that he may, therefore, be deprived of his lien. Laws of Florida, McClellan's Digest, Section 1, Chapter 137. All claims for rent shall be a lien on agricultural products raised on the land rented, and shall be superior to all other liens and claims, though of older date. And also superior lien on all other property of the lessee or his of lessee, or assigns, usually kept on the premises, over any lien acquired subsequently to such property having been bought on the premises. Lease. Code of Alabama, section 3055, chapter 6. Lien continues and attaches to crop of succeeding years when the tenant fails to pay any part of such rent or advances and continues his tenancy under the same landlord for the next succeeding year for which the original lien for advances. If any remain unpaid, shall continue on the articles advanced for property purchased with money advanced or obtained by barter in exchange for articles advanced, and for which a lien shall also attach to the crops of such succeeding year. You have thus seen a specimen, and a fair specimen, of the landlord and tenant laws of several of the old slave states. You have thus seen how scrupulously and rigidly the rights of the landlords are guarded and protected by these laws. You have thus seen how completely the tenant is put at the mercy of the landlord. You have thus seen the bias, the motive, and intention of the legislators by whom these laws have been enacted, and by whom they have been administered. And now you are only to remember the sentiment in regard to the Negro, peculiar to the people of the South, and the character of the people against whom these laws are to be enforced, and the fact that no people are better than their laws To have a perfectly just view of the whole situation. To my mind, these landlord and tenant laws are a disgrace and a scandal to American civilization. A more skillfully contrived device than these laws to crush out all aspiration, all hope of progress in the landless Negro could not be well devised. They sound to me like the grating hinges of a slave prison. They read like the inhuman bond of Shylock, stipulating for his pound of flesh. They environ the helpless Negro, like the devilfish fish of Victor Hugo, and draw the blood from every pore.
3: It's just inhuman. You know, it's terrible. How can you treat people like this? These people that them worked all their lives. It's
8: going to make it hard for us to
11: get uh, access to health care and uh, transportation, uh, and uh, it's going to be hard to move.
3: There's a lot of people in this building that's in the wheelchair, can't get around. If you've been here uh, twenty years and you're in your 80s and 90s, what do you do now?
10: They call it progress. I call it gentrification, where people are coming and you know, hey, we're going to make. If I make the rent go up this high, then I make this an uh, exclusive area, you know? I worked
3: all my life since 1965. I've been working. And now they want to take what I've earned, what I work for, right from under me. And I'm not going quietly. They're they not building you. no kind of new buildings for the seniors. It's like, we're, oh, we're living too long, erase us. Get, I'll put you on the street. You know what I'm saying? That's care. not fair. I worked all my life. I'm 61 years old. I just had a triple bypass. We have become each other's family here. To move uh-huh. somewhere else, to put... I There's one guy here who's been here 30 years. He's only a little bit older than me, but he refuses to move into a senior citizen building. Why? He said that if once he moves in there, he thinks he's going to die. I mean,
10: what you're doing is you're giving like, people like Dan Gilbert, Mike Illich tax breaks, right? Tax breaks. But it's hard for us to even get by. I mean, you want to go up to uh, Lansing, have the people pay for you a stadium, when you and your wife are in the casino. You got a ball club, you got Red Wings, but you want the people to subsidize your stadium? Come on.
3: They, they're, they're breaking the city, and in a minute this city is going to be like little dust things, like the desert, flowing through the city. It's not it's fair not to us. We worked in this city. You understand? No, we no, made no. this city. Right. And now you want to bring in a knucklehead, down. I hate to say Break it. it Two hundred thousand and something. Those people you laid off to pay him, just like they did for the schools. They laid off teachers to bring him in. Now do that sound fair to you. That sound like something is wrong with the whole city.
0: Abolition.
6: Every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. Welcome back to Abolition Today. Abolition dot com or dot org or. with Max Parthus and Yusuf Hassan. That was part six of the I denounced the so called emancipation as a stupendous fraud. Uh, as read by Thomas Washington and that section was called The Landless Negro. And you heard the comparison between what Frederick said, and then you heard the voices of the people, you know, and that's something that you can be heard every ghetto, every city across America where gentrification is going on, and, you know, lifelong residents and generations of residents are being moved out. And there's no care. No one cares because they want to be able to take, you know, what was affordable rent and now make it five thousand and six thousand dollars a month for two bedrooms. And they don't care.
7: That was actually Facts. in Detroit, Michigan. Um that mm-hmm. they were closing down a elderly home that they had set up, uh I think it was like seven or eight floors uh stories and just filled with elderly people. Um and they were just evicting them out of their houses with nowhere to go. Um, and they were doing this because of gentrification, of course. Uh, but it was mm-hmm. at a time—I believe it was 2015—when Detroit was seeing the highest number of um, the highest number of repossessions of homes, foreclosures that they had ever seen. So they were just snatching up people's property left and right, and that really showed how here in this modern society, this is what he was talking about was happening then. Uh, You know, he was saying, you know, he had talked about the trucking system before where you weren't getting paid actual money. You were getting paid script that you could only use at certain stores, which is very much akin to what's happening in the prisons, right? You can only buy at certain places and buy certain products. Mm -hmm. You're limited. You have to use this script that you're working to get. Uh, Well, here they were saying that he was – Frederick was saying how the landlord actually has a lease on any agricultural products that come out of the place that you're leasing. So you couldn't own it. You could only rent it. And then they get whatever kind of lease they want on the products that you're making. And you remember, this was what they were talking about back in the day was, uh, what was the name for it? Uh, you said where you was working on the plantation, making all the products, but you never made enough money to actually survive. Share really. yeah, cropping. It was, it was Share cropping. Share cropping. Share cropping was going on. Sorry about that brain fart. But, yeah, uh, he he was tapping into that as one of the things he was showing why this has all been a stupendous fraud. Uh, So the landlord-tenant relationship with the Negro and the white former masters in the South was an example of one of the things that had gotten far, far worse. So, you know, now you couldn't even keep a dime. If you made any money, they took it right from you.
6: Right. And just how easy it was to evict. You know, now they have certain protections, but those protections still aren't that great. Right back then there was absolutely no protection. You know, when I saw the section where he talked about uh if he felt as though you were gonna take something, he could evict you. He didn't even have to have any proof. He just had to have you know, that was like one of the excuses they can use, sort of like uh you know, the unsafe lane change or you using failure to uh signal. You know, it's nothing that you can never prove whether you did it or not. So it was just really easy for them to go forward with the eviction because there's no protection there.
7: Yeah, and he exposed the laws at that time that showed how they had made this into a law. They loved making the criminal action to laws. Uh, revised right. Code of Mississippi, Voorhees revised, code, uh, revised laws of uh, Louisiana, the laws of Florida. Mm-hmm. Code of Alabama. Code of uh, Alabama. Hap- right. Happening all across the South. And, uh, you know, this is not something that just disappeared. It became streamlined. And then you heard a living example of it happening
6: uh,
7: in this day and age in Detroit as people were being dispossessed. And that was still during the Flint home.
6: crisis as well. Uh, just so they were, they were too, having believe, issues right? with the water up there. Right. Uh, Flint started in 2014, so it was like right in the same – like right in that same era. Yeah, like
7: so many things that uh, that they're heaping upon, uh, black people in particular, but minorities and the poor in general, uh, all at the same time. And this is not something that has ended. Uh, we've seen this now with the COVID crisis with so many people displaced. I remember they were saying it was like 5 million people they expected to be displaced from their homes. Uh, because of the loss of jobs during the COVID epidemic at its height, uh, five million more homeless people—that's crazy—and you see a lot of them living with their parents or friends or uh, you know whoever they could stay at because they couldn't afford to have their own place. And then you saw the industry of eviction become a freaking industry; like it became a right. huge industry where people just made a living on evicting others from their homes, and they had the yeah. sheriffs would call up come up talking about how uh, I'm just doing my job uh, and still throwing women and children and people sick and elderly out of their own houses onto the street, not caring where they had to go. It's amazing. All right, so if you want to continue the conversation, let us know, by the way, by pressing one on your keypad and or or calling in. Yusuf?
6: Yeah, I'm I think I lost my spot because I wanted to bring up something, but I'm not sure if it's in this section or the next section. Uh, do you have the spot where he where he's finished off?
7: Uh, do I know where he finished off? Yeah. It uh, yeah. says uh, um, where he talks about the tenant is left in the clutches of the landlord, no third party yes.
6: intervenes? He, he, he mentioned that because that's what I wanted to bring up right there. Right. I wanted to bring that section up. So I want to highlight that section. It says the tenant is left in the clutches of the landlord. No third party in, in, intervenes between the greed and power of one and the helplessness of the other. The landholder imposes his price, exacts his conditions. And the landless Negro must comply or starve.
7: Or starve.
6: Yeah, it is impossible to conceive of conditions more unfavorable to the welfare and prosperity of the laborer. It is often said that the law is merciful, but there is no mercy in this law.
7: Hmm.
6: No mercy for Xerxes. No mercy for Xerxes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, you know, that's it. But the part where it says no third party intervenes, so it's like there's no help. You know, when you None. you know a lot of times when people seek help, and they're like, okay, maybe the courts can help us, so I can go get an attorney, or there's some agency that can give some aid. There was nothing. It was like the the landholder was basically a god in the situation. Like
7: like they were in Detroit. It.
6: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that left the people helpless to either comply or starve.
7: Corinne, you want to comment in on this?
2: Well, it's funny that the clip actually mentioned renters because that's what I just said before the clip happened because that's how I know, um, that's how I recognize um, Frederick Douglass as a landlord because I read a book that talks about his um, using his wealth to rent out to other black folks and that's so funny that that's what you guys spoke about today, because that's how, in my mind, I see Frederick Douglass as a, as a wealthy black man who was a former slave who used his money to aid his people and through housing. So I just thought that was so interesting, like, putting that together as my aha moment.
6: Much yeah, this, is, this shows the roots. that You know, once he realized this, this probably would led him to doing the things you speak of.
7: Much of his wealth went into helping to keep the Freedman Bank open, which actually ended up closing down uh, because it wasn't getting mm-hmm. the support from the government that it was supposed to be getting. Uh, I believe he put $10,000 of his own money into it. And that was a lot of money back in the 1800s, late 1800s. $10, That's a lot of That'd money. that would be like 100000 or more now, you know what I mean? But he put a right. lot of money into it, fear? and it still failed. Hmm?
2: You think they fear black landlords on the rise?
7: They have a fear of a black planet
6: mm. so oh. Chuck, black D landlords, love, Chuck D. would love that Chuck D. would love that reference
7: <laughs> Yeah, they have a fear of a black planet And so that's just one of the areas Where they try to maintain control And uh, have controlled the progress Of the, the children of the diaspora In, in particular Throughout these many, yeah. many years
6: black ownership, black autonomy has always been fearful, and this is why you take uh, you take uh, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, you take Redwood, I mean Rosewood, you take Fish Hill, where the University of Virginia now stands, you take the area where Central Park is in New York City, these were all thriving black businesses and neighborhoods, and they all got destroyed. You know, so that leads right into it. Yeah, there's a fear of that black autonomy black autonomy, and black ownership and why it's never taught.
7: Many of these black communities are underwater now uh, with these man-made lakes like the one we have in Columbia, South Carolina, and all across the country. There's, I've seen so mm-hmm. many of them uh, where they literally turned them into lakes, just covered the whole area in water and turned it into a lake. Uh, a lot of black right. communities underwater. Uh, but this is just what we've had to deal with. So you know, it, it's kind of it's really hard to talk about equality when you keep hamstringing us, when you keep tripping us along the way. Remember what Frederick Douglass said: If you really want to help, leave him alone. Leave the black people right. alone. If they're on their way to do something, let them be. If they're trying let, to let ahead, them leave them here. Yeah, just let them be. Right. But that's not how it works. Hold out. Them on. You know, not, they always got to be somebody standing in our way and saying, you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be doing this. You were never meant to get this far. Step back. I mean, over and over again. Look at the, the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> For an example. Right. Of uh, 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 What all, all the players was doing was kneeling. And look how they treated them because of that. Uh, that. They, they were disrespecting the flag and all of this. And then whatever – Money that they had, or whatever careers they thought they had and were secure with, uh, got lost. Colin Kaepernick suddenly mm-hmm. lost his career. Millionaires just gone. You know, you, know, you don't lose your career. You either do what we say and stop where you're at, or we take away all your toys and money and, and, and security. Uh, remember, Fox News. Hold
6: on, Max. You, you're what? encroaching on the next segment.
7: <laughs> oh, I am? Okay. okay.
6: Yeah. <laughs>
7: All right, yeah, 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 well, yes, put yeah. A, put
6: a plug in that because you're going to be saying a lot of that stuff in the next section. Uh,
7: the next segment is going to piss me off. Every time I hear it, it pisses me off. It's probably going to piss you uh-huh. off, too. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah. it, it's the truth, right? And Frederick Douglass is going to speak about those people who disparage the Negro for the condition that he is in, including other Negroes. Um, so that's part six. Uh, And it's Thomas Washington once again. And you want to say the name?
6: (laughs) Yeah You know, technically it's part seven because we had the intro. Right. You know, but uh, it's call one nine hundred. Blame the Negro. (laughs) One
7: nine hundred. Blame the Negro.
6: (laughs) You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. We'll be right back after we listen to this next part.
0: Abolition. Abolition.
6: Abolition.
8: Freedom. Oh, freedom. Oh, freedom me. And asleep, the case is aggravated, and when
11: you think of the illiteracy and ignorance of the people who sign landly...
8: They are ignorant of the
11: terms of the contract, ignorant of the requirements of the law, and are thus absolutely in the power of the landlord. You have heard much, read much, and thought much of the flagrant injustice, the monstrous cruelty and oppression inflicted on the tenant class in Ireland. I have no disposition to underrate the hardships of that class. On the contrary, I deplore them. But knowing them as I do, and deploring them as I do, I declare to you that the condition of the Irish tenant is merciful, tender, and just, as compared with the American freedom. There are thousands in Ireland today who fix the price of their own rent, and thousands more for whom the government itself measures the amount of rent be pay, and not by the greed of the landlord, but by the actual value of the land and its production, and by the ability of the tenant to pay. But how is it with us? The tenant is left in the clutches
8: of the landlord.
11: No third party intervenes between the greed and power of one and the helplessness of the other. The landlord. It imposes his price, exacts his conditions, and a landless Negro must comply or suffer. It is impossible to conceive of conditions more unfavorable to the welfare and prosperity of the laborer. It is often said that the law is merciful, there is no mercy in this law. Now let us sum up some of the points in the situation of the freedman. You will have seen how he is paid for his labor, how a full-grown man gets only $8 a month for his labor, out of which he has to feed and educate his children you have seen how even this sum is reduced by the infamous truck system of payment you've seen how easily he may be charged with one-third more than the value of the goods that he buys you have seen how easily he may be compelled to receive the poorest commodities at the highest prices you've seen how he is never allowed to see or handle a dollar you have seen how impossible it is for him to accumulate money or property you've seen how completely he has changed locality in which he lives You have seen, therefore, that having no money, he cannot travel or go anywhere to better his condition. You have seen by these laws that even on the premises which he rents, he can own nothing, possess nothing. You have seen that he cannot sell a sheep or a pig or even a chicken without the consent of the landlord, whose claim to all he has is superior and paramount to all other claims whatsoever. You have seen all this and more, and I ask, in Buehlerville, how, in the name of human race, could the Negro be expected to rise higher on the scale of morals, manners, religion, and civilization than he has done during the twenty years of his freedom? Shame. Eternal shame on those writers and speakers who taunt, denounce, and disparage the Negro because he is today found in poverty. Rags and wretched.
4: Yeah, but I'm trying to answer, and if you had shut up, I would have I really would have finished it. I swear. Okay. I'm
8: sorry. Stop. Okay. It's it's important that we look at these murders and find out why and and behind them Dr. Poussant and I have found that it's because Children are born and they're coming up and they don't have an idea of who clearly is the biological person, the father or the mother, sometimes both. And this hurts. And then there's an old saying, hurt people, hurt people.
4: Hey everyone, is Jonathan. I just want to get straight to the point about this Michael Brown incident. Let me tell you something, and I said this before, what we're doing out here is not helping. Us rioting, looting, burning down donut shops and stores and everything else, liquor stores, shenanigans, hair salon for the extensions, this is not helping. Us acting a fool out here because we pissed off at the police is not helping. I said this before and I said again, change is not going to come until we change it. You understand what I'm saying? This is not helping. Change isn't going to come until we change it. All we know how to do is march and riot and loot. This is not helping. What you guys are out here doing is not helping, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to tell you what you need to hear and to into what you want to hear. All we know how to do is blame the police and white folks for our actions. That's all we know how to do is blame phonies and white folks. They mistreat notes. They beat no nuts. Oh, slavery still exists. Oh, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm not going to tell you and tell you we're going to march. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I'm going to tell you, damn it, let's change. Let's change as black people. When is this going to stop? When? How are our children supposed to grow up when we out here acting a stone fool? How are our kids supposed to grow up when we out here acting stupid? How? How? Even the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 2, verse 3, God said, we have toiled this mountain long enough. We have toiled this mountain long enough. 40 plus years they spent in the wilderness. It's been over 50 years since we sang that song, we shall overcome. Hell, when are we going to overcome? When? That was 50-plus years ago, and all we're doing is going around in circles. Going around in circles. You activists out there, you civil rights leaders, all of a sudden, Black Panthers, NAACP come out the woodworks. They just came out of nowhere, we don't want justice, we want justice, no justice, no please. that's all you see. no justice, no please. shut up. When there was 60 plus shootings in Chicago a few weeks back, where were you? Nowhere to be found. A few weeks later, it was 47 drive-bys in one weekend, where were you? Nowhere to be found. When Lil Ray Ray kills little Lukey, where were you? Nowhere to be found. Okay, when that little little girl was shot when she was riding her tricycle in the front yard and stray bullets hit her. Where were you? Nowhere to be found. Police beat up on a black man. Oh, you know, slavery still exists. Slavery still exists. Oh, shut up. Because I hate to say this, and I know this is going to piss a lot of people off. All the incidents I've seen, all the brothers was resisting arrest and causing trouble. <laughs>
8: Okay,
4: (laughs) hate to tell the truth, hate to tell the truth, because I want to debunk that myth as far as being young and black and mistreated. I'm young, black, drive a brand new BMW and live in the valley. How many encounters have I had with the police? Many. How many times have they got out of control? None. 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 So I want to debunk that myth about us getting mistreated and slavery. Oh, all they know how to do is beat on the black man. Nonsense. Nonsense. Because I had many encounters with the police, and I became good friends with them. Tell me how come I could live that life and you can't. Tell me.
3: The mayor of Baltimore, who's come under a lot of criticism, scathing criticism for her handling of this, referred to uh, the people who were doing this last night as thugs and she got a lot of criticism for that. There were people I saw on Twitter saying, why would you call them thugs? Then they're not going to listen to you. President Obama also called the protesters, in his words today, quote unquote, criminals and thugs. He also carefully chose to use that word. Isn't it the right word?
4: No, of question it's not the right word to call our children thugs. These are children who have been set aside, marginalized, who have not been engaged by us. No,
3: we don't have to call them thugs. But how does that thugs? justify what they did? I mean that's a sense of right or wrong. They know it's wrong to steal and burn down a CVS and an old person's home. I mean,
4: come on. Come on. So calling them thugs, just call them niggers. Just call them niggers. No, we don't have to call them by names such as that. We don't have to do that. That is exactly what we've sent them to. No, when you say come on, come on what? You wouldn't call your child a thug if they should do something that would not be what you would expect them to do.
3: Look, I respect your point of view. I would hope that I would call my son a thug if he ever did such a thing. Go ahead, Caleb. What? What'd you call me?
8: Wait a second. This is
12: Caleb. We're at a Lincoln Park right now, and this is Caleb. He wants to tell me something.
8: What was that? you a bad nigga you on the Just hey, I need
12: some money. I have no idea where his parents are. I don't even know this little guy. I've never ever wanted to like strike a kid, but he kind of makes me want to. W- what am I again?
8: A black lady just a rope. <laughs>
12: like I don't see his parents anywhere.
8: You don't see my He randomly
12: just like walked up to me and just started. I don't know. He started doing this. What? What am I again?
8: A black nigger on a rope. Mm-hmm. Hey, right? Do you people
12: hear I can. parents! Where's your parents, right? you hear this? Uh, this
8: is just a Caleb, Caleb, who
12: taught you that, Caleb? Huh? Who taught you that? I
8: don't know. You don't know? People just say it around
12: you. People say, people say that bad word around you? Nope. You just learned it on your own, huh?
8: Uh, Kay- I guess you're lost somewhere. Yeah, he's lost. Hey. Yeah. Hey, well, my... Uh, my own-
12: back, back up a little bit, Caleb. Back up. Yeah, there we go, so we can see you. Yeah.
8: yeah me,
12: Caleb, do you realize what you said to me was not very nice, right?
8: I don't
12: know. Why'd you say it to me? I
8: don't
12: know. Calling, calling somebody black a nigga is not nice, Caleb. I
8: don't know. <laughs> it might get you hurt, Caleb. I don't know.
12: Okay, yeah. This, I
8: don't know. this I don't is know. This I don't is Caleb. I don't know. He doesn't know I don't now. Know.
12: Wow. This is the future.
8: Hey, you Abolition.
0: abolition every
6: day, Wow. Welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. You just heard part seven of the uh, uh, Frederick Douglass's speech, I, de- I Denounced the So-Called Emancipation as a Stupendous Fraud, and that section was called Call 1-900-Blame the Negro. And in addition to hearing Thomas Washington, you also heard clips from Bill Cosby, uh, Reverend Gentry Mangan, uh, Pastor David Manning uh, when he was on CNN, and then some random little boy named Caleb who just thinks it's okay to say certain things out of his mouth. That was a very, very, very intriguing section, Max.
7: Yeah, they're, uh, it was all true. I mean, again, we're bridging the gap. This is what he mm-hmm. said in 1888 and This is what you're hearing in 2015 At the time Where is the difference? The only difference is electricity um, And you know he even said right. at one point When he was talking about the Irish And you know saying that what's happening to them Is terrible uh, But he also said that I declare to you That the condition of the Irish tenant Is merciful, tender And mm-hmm. just as compared With the American freedmen uh, Right? So The Irish were getting the better treatment at that time because of the same oppression that the black people had been going through, through slavery now turned into this new system that had so many complex parts to it. Uh, And he asked the question, how in the name of human reason could the Negro be expected to rise higher in the scale of morals, manner, religion, and civilization And he has done during the 20 years of his freedom Shame, eternal shame On those writers and speakers who taunt, denounce And disparage the Negro Because he is today found in poverty, rags, and wretchedness And we heard them doing that Uh, Pastor Gentry, oh my God If I could, Mm -hmm. I'd reach through the screen and smack the shit out of him Like, for real, man? Because, you know like oh my God, the things that he was saying. And then Bill Cosby. If you're talking about a hypocrite, Bill Cosby starts out with telling somebody to shut up the white woman that he had a relationship there. He's telling her to shut up. Uh and then mm-hmm. he goes into this whole thing about how hurt people hurt people. Uh you know, I don't prescribe to that philosophy because I'm a hurt person and I'm not out here hurting people. Uh we have been hurt since sixteen freaking nineteen. And we're not out here hurting people like that. You know, we're we're the ones being hurt uh, by what's going on. So I don't subscribe to that. Uh, Again, it's where you're denouncing where we're at uh, as if we had complete control over the situation. And we didn't. And we still don't. Right now, we have uh, one of the largest uh, homeless populations that's ever existed in America. And as far Mm -hmm. as poverty is concerned, we have more people in America who are in, below, or just at the poverty level than there are people in Russia total. We've got 150 million people bordering at poverty level or below it right now, 150 million people, and a large
6: portion
7: of those are people of the
6: diasporas. you know here so he mentioned the truck system of payment and for those that aren't familiar truck system is a system of where a person labors and you pay them with something other than cash you know or it's like a chit system chit you know where you just give them a piece of paper and it's supposed to represent something but it's not actual cash you know, it's something that we used in the military. They would give us these little chit books, and we can go to the PX and purchase certain items, but it had no real monetary value. So this is what they were using back then. It was called the truck system, and they were controlling the value of the chit as well as the value of the goods. So they can fluctuate it. You know how you and I, when the topic of reparations comes, or not even reparations, but when they start talking about – uh Paying minimum wage in prisons And how we say they can take it right back From them So it's the same system that they had set up back then it didn't matter how much they were paying them Through these chits Because you could give them a chip That's worth maybe $100 But if the product that they have to buy That's only worth maybe $10 They now charge 150 for it They can no longer afford it You know and so This mm-hmm. led to the poverty So they got paid $8 a month a month, $8 a month where he has to feed his family, clothe them, educate them, $8 a month, and then that's fluctuated. So when he goes to buy his food, he's only made $8 in order to feed his family for the month. It may cost $15, and you compound that over years. That just sets the person behind. They're never going to catch up.
7: And then they're playing up as much as double the prices on goods, which are far inferior to the goods everyone else would get.
8: Absolutely.
7: Uh, I, I see we have another hand up, so let's go ahead and bring in another caller yeah. uh, real quick. Uh, 4953, you're here with us on the Abolition Today. Uh, what's your name and where you calling from?
10: My name is Mr. P. <laughs> but, you know, Frederick Douglass was right. Uh, Frederick Douglass was right when he said that emancipation didn't mean anything because actually it did not. Lincoln had no powers over those states that had seceded. He only had powers over the slaves that sought refuge behind Union lines and they was considered as contraband. And if he was using the word Freeman, he's talking about the 1866 treaty between America and the Union, I'm sorry, the Indian countries, and they were called freedom. Indians then released their slaves until 1866 starting in April, working their way up to July of 1866. And they basically told Lincoln, if you want us to release our property, you got to pay us for it, which they did. Last payments being made to the Chickasaw in the early 1950s. Frederick Douglass was right. Thank you.
7: Yes, and his speech was in 1888, so this was uh, a couple decades after all that had occurred. Um, Well, Mm -hmm. thanks for calling in, Mr. Pete. I appreciate that. And Frederick Douglass is right. He was right then, and he's right now. Um, Corinne, did you want to chime in on this?
2: No, I'm just listening. You guys are incredible. This is
7: deep. <laughs> what Thank really you. threw me for a loop uh, was just mm-hmm. random little white boy runs right. up to this family at a park and starts calling him a black nigger, uh, and I think he said and a cockroach, a black nigger and a cockroach mm-hmm. and something like that. And and at the end, he's doing what we see basically Republicans do in. Uh, Congress and Senate right now. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You don't know all of a sudden. You did it, you said right. it, but you don't know nothing now. And the I don't know isn't even an excuse. It's more of a mockery. He's saying it to mock this man. I don't know. I don't know what you're gonna do about it. Which <laughs> and this is like a child more right. older than six or seven years old with no parents right. in sight, out there harassing his black family with something that he learned from his freaking parents, from his community mm-hmm. Racism is not something you're born with It's something you're taught uh, I was watching a video the other day Of this woman out in Canada uh, Went to a, uh, a doctor's office And she couldn't get a white doctor For her son And was raised in hell about it About how come she can't get a white doctor They're all black or brown And she doesn't want them you know, taking care of her son In Canada In 2023 uh, you know man, we see this All over the world Like that Man It's just mind blowing to hear All of this especially the words of Frederick Douglass and how true they were And for him to break it down uh, In such a way where we Really see all of the components at the Time and I, even he wasn't Wouldn't be able to break down Every component but he broke down As many of the major ones that he saw With his own eyes by traveling through the southern states uh, 26 years, over twenty, throughout the 26 years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, right. And you know, what he said, said about the Irish, as I said earlier, it stuck with me because in 1863, they had the, uh, the riots, the New York riots. Uh, what did they call them? The draft, draft riots, where mm-hmm. the Irish rioted against the draft, blamed the black person for the Uh, the draft, the black people, and then started going out and murdering black people. They were hanging them from telephone poles. Uh, They were beating them to death. They were shooting them. Uh, A lot of the police in the northern states, in New York in particular, had Irish cops who decided they weren't going to come to the protection of the black people who were there. Uh, Many of them escaped for their lives out of New York. Uh, again, mm-hmm. they wouldn't come to enforce the very laws and constitutions that they expect to be enforced for themselves. They wouldn't come to do it for the black man, just like they don't do it right now to enforce those laws. They violate them, so their people were murdering us, the Irish there, and they were fighting over the slums, over the freaking slums.
6: On top of all of that, yes, on top of yeah, on all top of, of all, that. all of that.
0: Well.
7: We're here, and... uh,
6: So as he said, yeah. (laughs) How in the name of human reason could the Negro be expected to rise higher in the scale of morals, manner, religion, and civilization than he has done during the 20 years of his freedom? How? After they went through all of that, how? How could you expect more? And then we asked that same question in 2023. You know, like, given that most of this stuff, or a lot of this stuff, is still occurring. What do you expect in certain areas when you def- when you defund the schools and you get schools with twenty year old texts and you have teacher shortages and you're not paying the teachers and you flood in the neighborhoods with guns and drugs and you're over policing the community <laughs> and you. Go on, Max, because I felt myself yeah. getting ready to get in the soapbox, and we don't have time.
7: Yeah. Yes, you're right. And let's go back to the trucking system again, right, and how I said mm-hmm. that is comparative to what's happening in the prisons and, and jails now where you're working, uh, and the only thing you can buy is what is allowed for you to buy. And they have these monopolies on the products that are often very much higher on the inside of prisons than they are on the outside. And others have exclusive contracts where, like, there's a potato chip brand that you can only buy in prison, for
6: instance. You know what I mean? And I think with mm-hmm. Reeboks,
7: they had to you could had to buy Reeboks in prison, white Reeboks or something like that for some time. Yeah, well, it's usually was only- from
6: a company like East Bay, and that's the old they'll sell. It's like a Reebok sneaker. You mm-hmm. know, at the time I was in there, they had uh, the Ewings, the Patrick Ewings, was the sneaker you had to buy. Had
5: and to there's buy.
6: like this. Yeah, some little cheap uh, sweatsuits and T-shirts that they're tremendously overpriced. You know, sweatsuits were like $40 for some little cheaply made sweatsuit.
7: One of the companies that exploits this is named Aramark. And Aramark supplies food for schools. And on Mm -hmm. February the 1st, they decided what they were going to serve the students was chicken, watermelon, and waffles. That was what the students got to eat on February 1st from uh, courtesy of Aramark, who came out and apologized for their so-called unintentional insensitivity. But, I mean, how dare you throw some damn watermelon and chicken at our children on the first day of Black History Month as your way of celebrating Black History Month? Is that what you think of us, watermelon and chicken? It's like last oh, week yeah. when we talked about the police who had the uh, red, black, and green images with Black History Month on the side of the Lord, damn yeah. police car. Like us being locked up in, in the back of that car or shot in the head in the back of that car, or brutalized in the back of that car is somehow better now because it has this Black History Month, month logos all over it. It's just shameful, as Frederick Douglass yeah, it's said. All a Eternal joke. Shame.
6: it's all a joke. It's all a joke. It's a
7: joke. And Aramac is also responsible for a lot of the prison contracts, like we heard last week, talking about Christopher Epps and the uh, no-bid contracts that he was putting out to companies like Aramac. Uh, Aram- Aramark, Aramark mm-hmm. uh food at one time, was they were finding rat poison in the food being mm-hmm. served to the inmates. They were finding maggots in the food. Being served to the inmates And sometimes they would just starving them all Together uh, to save money So Aramark would make More uh, It's just shameful man that we had to deal With this and when the Food and Drug Administration Was contacted or uh, In regards to Aramark They were told that they Are not under the Food and Drug Administration's Jurisdiction because they're A private contractor with the prison So I'm guessing it's the same thing with the school They give you children Watermelon and chicken on the first day of Black History Month Maybe next week it might be some maggots in it Maybe some uh, after that Next you know maybe next week they'll have Grape soda day you know Because all us black people like grape soda right You can stereotype the hell out of us With the things that you're doing here And poison us at the same time
6: Right Who signed off on that That's what I want to know Who signed off on it Who thought it was okay
7: Well, the uh, story is available at the, um, let me see if I can pull it up real quick, insider.com, and the Mm title is mark Apologizes for Unintentional Insensitivity After Serving Students Chicken and Watermelon on the First Day of Black History Month. And that's from Lauren Edmonds, February 5th, 2023. You're like I don't even believe this stuff Be coming out of my mouth sometimes like is this real Like I have to check it Like I'm Yeah, You know what I
6: mean Yeah, Like like this can't be a real story Like
7: this can't be a real story but it is A real story and no matter How bad you may think it is I've learned over the years to always assume It's ten times worse than I thought it was Because it usually is
6: Mm. Wow That's saying something
7: Yeah um Paramark was in an article recently, and they said, we operate our business with social responsibility. We focus on initiatives that support our diverse workforce, advance customer health and wellness, and protect our environment and strengthen our communities. And they're doing anything but that. In 2014, inmates found maggots while peeling potatoes at the Charles Egler Reception and Guidance Center in Jackson, Mississippi. Back in Mississippi. Look like Mississippi, Mm -hmm. y'all. Mississippi, uh, goddamn! Mississippi, goddamn! Um, about thirty prisoners fell ill from food poison at another Jackson facility supplied by Aramark, and a former Aramark employee reported unsanitary kitchen practices, such as serving raw or undercooked meat, falsifying records about dishwater temperatures and quality of cleaning solutions, inflating the count of meals served to inmates. They were saying, "Okay, we gave them three meals when they actually only gave them one." And this claim mm-hmm. is supposedly one of the reasons that he was fired. So this is just one company, I remark, that is of those who are using these um, – these exploiting us while we're incarcerated and in schools. And you said there's more than just schools. You were telling me earlier that they have contracts with other industries. Yeah, hospitals,
6: universities, yeah, mostly any institution. Most institutions get their food through Aramark. Whether it's a hospital, uh nursing home, that's why the food is almost all the same everywhere you go. People complain about hospital food. People complain about the food in the nursing homes. You know, but they the ones in the prison, they've even seen ones where it said not fit for human consumption was marked on the boxes. I remember we uncovered that, I think it was in Alabama that we saw that one.
7: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing the final uh, segments of this week's historic broadcast um, where the Bridging the Gap is the entire program this week. And uh, I believe that this particular speech is so well worth it uh, because when you walk away from here today, you may feel like you can look the other way, but you can never again say that you did not know.
6: You did not know. You You can learn today.
7: let's continue with thomas washington reciting uh the second part of i denounce
6: the so-called
7: emancipation as a stupendous fraud by frederick Douglass, 1888 and this one is titled dem damn republicrats
0: we'll be right back after this abolition oh
8: what are the
11: relations existing between the Negro and the state and national government? What support? What assistance he's received from either of them? Take his relations to the national government and we shall find him a deserted, a defrauded, a swindled, and an outcast man. In law, free, in fact, a slave. In law, citizen, in fact, an alien. In fact, in law, voter, in fact, a disenfranchised man. In law, his color is no crime. In fact, his color exposes him to be treated as a criminal. Toward him, every attribute of a just government is contradicted. For him, it is not a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Toward him, it abandons the beneficent character of a government, and all that gives the government the right to exist. The true object for which governments are ordained among men is to protect the weak against the encroachments of the strong, to hold its strong arm of justice over all the civil relations of its citizens, and to see that all have an equal chance in the race of life. Now, in the case of the Negro citizen, our national government does precisely the reverse of all this. Instead of protecting the weak against the encroachments of the strong, it tacitly protects the strong in its encroachments upon the weak. When the colored citizens of the South point to the 14th and 15th Amendments of the Constitution for the protection of their civil and political rights, the Supreme Court of the United States turns them out of court and tells them that they must look for justice at the hands of the state, well knowing that those states are, in effect, the very parties that deny them justice. Thus is the Negro citizen swindled. The government professes to give him citizenship and silently permits him to be divested of every attribute of citizenship. It demands allegiance, but denies protection. It taxes him as a citizen in peace and compels him to bear arms and meet bullets in war. It imposes upon him all the burdens of citizenship and withholds from him all his benefits. I know it's said that the general government is the government of limited powers. It was also once said that the national government could not coerce a state, and it is generally said that this and that public measure is unconstitutional. But whenever an administration has the bad will to do anything, it has generally found constitutional power to do it. If the general government has the power to make black men citizens, it has the power to protect them in that citizenship. If it has the right to make them voters, it has the right to protect them in the exercise of the elected franchise. If it has this right and refuses to exercise it, it is a traitor to the citizen. If it has not this right, it is destitute of the fundamental quality of a government and ought to be hissed and hurried out of the sisterhood of government, a usurper, a sham, a delusion, and a snare. On the other hand, if the fault is not in the structure of the government, but in the treachery and indifference of those who administer it, the American people owe it to themselves, owe it to the world, and to the Negroes to sweep from place and power those who are thus derelict and the discharge of their place in the government who will not enforce the constitutional rights of every class of American citizens. I'm a Republican. I believe in the Republican Party. My political hopes for the future of the colored people are enforced in the character and composition and the wisdom and justice and the courage and fidelity of the Republican Party. I'm unable to see how any honest an intelligent colored man can be a Democrat or play fast and loose between the two parties. But while I am a Republican and believe in the party, I dare to tell that party the truth. In my judgment, it can no longer repose on the history of its grand and magnificent chiefs. It must not only stand abreast with the times, but it must create the times. Its power and greatness consisted in this at the beginning. It was an advance of the times and made the times when it abolished the slave trade between the states when it emancipated the slaves in the District of Columbia, when it stemmed the bloody tide of disunion, when it abolished slavery in all the states, when it made the Negro a soldier and a citizen, when it conceded to him the elective franchise, and now, in my judgment, the strength, success, and glory of the Republican Party will be found in its holding this advanced position. It must not stand still or take any step backward. Its mission is to lead, not to follow, to make circumstances, not to be made by them, It is held and firmly bound by every sentiment of justice and honor to make a living fact out of the dead letter of the constitutional amendment. It must make the path of the black citizen to the ballot box as safe and smooth as that of the whites. It must make it impossible for a man like James Russell Lowell to say he sees no difference between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. If it fails to do all this, I, for one, shall welcome the bolt, which shall scatter it into a thousand fragments. I would never say, and I have never said, because it's not true, that Republicans, all Republicans, are racist. That would be silly and wrong. But nowadays, if you are racist, you're probably a Republican.
3: Civil rights laws were designed to protect blacks from Democrats, from Democrat laws, from Democrat segregators, from Democrat governors. And Democrats in the White House wouldn't protect them. That's why we have civil rights laws. From that, you get the anti-discrimination laws and the sexual harassment laws. Now you got liberal women using laws to protect blacks in order to attack conservative blacks with these vicious, outrageous
1: charges. It
3: absolutely is and It's coming from the exact same people who used to do the lynching with ropes. Now they do it with a word process. Meaning
1: the Democratic Party. Yes. Mm -hmm.
3: Yes, we had to have... National federal civil rights laws to protect blacks from Democrats, as described in a full chapter in my book, Demonic, giving a revisionist history to their revisionist history of civil rights in this country. It was always Democrat. The latest, I mean, polls, the latest polls out today uh, show that the Democrat in the race, Ed Markey, uh, is out way, way ahead. So there's lots going on in today's news. But we have to start tonight in Montana, at the headquarters of an organization that likes to think of itself as America's think tank for the white nationalist movement. They don't like to say white supremacist, apparently. They like to say white nationalist. They think it sounds better. You can judge for yourself.
13: Who stands for us? Have you ever wondered, why isn't there an organization that works for us? From African-Americans to illegal immigrants, from lesbians to left-handers, every ethnic and interest group has its own lobby or cultural foundation. The exception, of course, is white Americans, our country's historic majority and founding population, the people that bears the unique heritage of Europe, Christianity, cultural excellence, and the scientific awakening. There are also our peculiar folkways, holidays, traditions, and customs that make us both uniquely European and uniquely American. Only we are who we are. So again, why isn't there an organization that has our interests at heart?
3: Our, so this, is, this is the white supremacist, think, uh, sorry, the white nationalist uh, think tank group. They call themselves the National Policy Institute. Their slogan, you can see at the top there, for our people, our culture. Our future. And when they say our, they are being really, really specific about who they mean.
13: As long as whites continue to avoid and deny their own racial identity, at a time when almost every other racial and ethnic category is rediscovering and asserting its own, whites will have no chance to resist their dispossession. This is our challenge. This is our calling. Won't you join us?
8: I'll be
0: buried my grave And go home to my Lord And be Abolition.
8: Abolition Abolition Abolition,
0: Abolition. 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 Ab- You're on
6: mute Can't be muted Welcome back to Abolition Today Abolition Today with Max Parthis And Yusuf Hassan You were just listening to Part 8 Of the I declare the so-called Emancipation as a stupendous fraud By Frederick Douglass And that segment was entitled Them Damned Republicrats And you heard <laughs> clips from The Rachel Maddow show Ann Coulter and Bill Maher <laughs> and this this uh i don't know what to call this guy richard spencer who's the head of the uh national policy institute towards the end uh geez, that, that was his so introduction
7: much. to to the national uh, uh landscape richard spencer he's been all over the news since then but that was his introduction he, right yeah, there in 2015
6: far worse than that guy milo or whatever his name is uh so you know, it, it's so funny hearing him say that, you know, and I don't want to focus so much on him than Frederick's speech, you know. But uh, when he's talking about why is there nothing out there that's like for our interest when it's like your system, <laughs> you know, everybody else is trying to uh, become, you know, part of the system and have their rights recognized. But, of course, like Frederick Douglass said, he said – Instead of protecting the weak against the encroachments of the strong, it tacitly protects the strong and its encroachments upon the weak. When the colored citizens of the South point to the 14th and 15th Amendments of the Constitution for the protection of their civil and political rights, the Supreme Court of the United States turns them out of court and tells mm-hmm. them they must look for justice at the hands of the states, well knowing that those states are, in effect, the very parties that deny them justice. Thus is the Negro citizen swindled.
7: Swindled.
8: Man, he had
6: a way with words. He had a way with words. Man. Mm-hmm. I
7: call you the
6: word, Smith, but he's whoa. <laughs> I'm
7: a student of Frederick. I'm a student of Frederick. Right. Yeah. Although I must admit I always thought that Frederick was a little too wordy. But nonetheless, uh, those words are extremely powerful. It made things so much clearer. Um, But still, yeah, uh, you don't. the thing that one of the things that struck me in that particular clip is where he how things are and not how we think they are or how we want them to be. He said, let us see what are the relationships subsisting between the Negro and the state and national governments It's 26 years after the emancipation. He wants to know what support, what assistance he has received from either of them. And his mm-hmm. relationship, as an example, of the national government, and he said he found the black man deserted, defrauded, a swindled and outcast man. In law, he's uh, free, but in fact, he's a slave. In law, a citizen, mm-hmm. in fact, an alien, in law, a voter, in fact, a disenfranchised man. And we see this all over and over again. He said, in law, his color is no crime, in fact, his color exposes him to be treated as a criminal. This was the mm, existence mm, that we had to live under, where you're talking about how the Irish like immigrant, who was so much in poverty, was still uh, times and times again better off than the Negro freedman. Mm. And the clips, of course, like I said, they they, they, they showed... The bridging of the gap between then and now, and how, right. you know, when he warned if they're not stopped, that they would become masters of the nation. And they did become the masters of the nation, just like the southern version of policing took over throughout the whole country versus the northern version that came from England. Uh, it's the same thing with the Dixiecrats, <laughs> who, I, right. you know, at that time, I don't think that the Democratic Party somehow changed over to be the friend of the black man i think that it expanded into the republican party so now you got both parties who were against uh people of color uh yeah collected. can you give, a, can you give a quick
6: yeah can you give a quick history lesson because you know people always talk about how the democrats used to be the republicans and the republicans used to be the democrats
7: um
6: can you give a quick breakdown on that
7: I wasn't exactly prepared to do it, but um, Goldwater back in 64, um, the year of my birthday. As a matter of fact, I was born in that month uh, where Mm -hmm. Lyndon B. Johnson versus Barry Goldwater. And uh, Uh the Republican was Goldwater. And as a matter of fact, uh, what's her name? Uh, Hillary Clinton was a Goldwater girl. Remember at the time? Right. And Uh Johnson was a Democrat. And we were, at that point, there had not been any black Democrat elected all the way to 1929. So the Democrats were not friends to black people at all. They were the Democrats of slavery and of the Civil War and of the Confederacy. And the Republicans Mm -hmm. had this party of freedom freedom and abolition up until that point. But in order to win, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson tapped into the Republican racists Uh, The Dixiecrats Was it Lyndon B. that did it Or was it Goldwater It
6: had to be Lyndon B. Because he was a Democrat
7: Yeah he tapped into The Republicans who were racist In the South and called them Dixiecrats And just like Mm -hmm. Richard Nixon did Just like Donald Trump did They used these dog whistles Which apparently both Republicans And Democrats agreed about Black people in order to get Lyndon B. Johnson elected Over Goldwater And Goldwater was a I mean he was outright racist and yet Lyndon B Johnson yeah. managed to get the, Democrat, the 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 Republican conservatives who were racist to become new Democrats.
6: Yeah, Goldwater Johnson, was of that uh, Bull Connor and uh George Wallace ilk.
7: Right. Um let me see in Wiki it says that uh Johnson championed his passage of the Civil Rights Act and advocated Mm -hmm. a series of anti-poverty programs collectively known as the Gray Society. Goldwater espoused a low-tax, small-government philosophy, although he supported previous attempts at enacting civil rights legislation in 57 and 60. Goldwater reluctantly opposed the Civil Rights Act of 1964, saying it violated individual liberty and states' rights. How many times have we heard that term? States' Mm -hmm. rights. Uh,
6: States' rights.
7: Democrats. Successfully, supposedly Goldwater. the War was over. <laughs> right. They portrayed Goldwater as a dangerous extremist, uh, extremist, most famously in the Daisy television commercial. The Republicans were divided between its moderate and conservative factions, with Rockefeller and other moderate party leaders refusing to campaign for Goldwater. Johnson led by a wide margin in all polls during the campaign. So basically, that was the point where the Republicans and Democrats were allegedly flipped around, and suddenly Democrats are the friends of the black people, and the Republicans are the enemy. Uh, But as I said, I don't think that's how it worked. I think that the party of slavery just expanded to cover the whole country, just as Frederick Douglass predicted.
6: Right. Let's bring in our resident scholar, Sean Darling. (laughs) He threw his hand up, so I know he has something to uh, drop on us right there. Go ahead, Sean. You're on with us. Uh
14: Thanks, used to Max. I don't know if I can live up to to that introduction, but I was just think when I think of the speech, uh, Max has introduced it to me um probably a couple of years ago. Um so um, maybe even more than that. But I was thinking about since it was um he gave it in Washington D C, you know, thinking of, you know, obviously the recent or fairly recent, you know, um insurrection, but how um there's more or there seems to be I panic about white supremacy, but it seems that like this this speech connects it back to slavery, and most people um aren't aware of what we're doing as of yet you know, so it just seems like it's a perfect kind of bridge to you know like geographically and historically to you know what the root of the problem is and he I think he mentioned in um part of his speech last week you know how white supremacy is you know rooted in a love of power you know and how he how he brings it back to the origins you know of enslavement so just thought that the that the, um the location of the speech is important. Yes, if that makes sense.
6: Absolutely, thanks. Mm, that's a great so. point.
14: And also, too, um, I think you said something last week about you know um in the in in the first part of the speech, you know, saying you know um, doing what is right versus what is popular. So we have a lot of things in national politics happening right now. Um, but it, it seems like, you know, and not, not to like, my what we're doing, but it just seems like it's not a lot of people are talking about whatever else is talking about. Cause it's popular rather than, you know, like what we're trying to do is do the right thing, you know, and not to say that other people aren't trying to do the right thing, but it just seems like there's a whole lot of energy going into things that are popular rather than, you know, necessarily, you know, what is right, which is what we're trying to do something that, you know, that's, you know, has a, to, to write a huge historical wrong, I guess if that makes any sense.
7: The way of the wicked is wide and traveled by many, and the way of the righteous is, is narrow and traveled by few. Yeah, uh, mm. that is kind of like my litmus test. If everybody's doing it, it's probably the wrong thing. That's how I think.
6: <laughs> you know? How about that? Mm-hmm.
14: How or, about or even putting right. those people. St- People talk about, you know, reconstruction without talking about, you know, changing the 13th Amendment, you know. So, like, do these people even sometimes know what they're talking about, you know, right, or are right. they just trying to, to use popular phrases to get people, you know, involved in you what know, they want?
7: We're not offering a magic button that changes everything overnight. We have expressed that so many times on this program, especially people who demand something like that occur. I don't know where the hell they expect to get it from, but it ain't going to be from anywhere I can imagine. Uh, nonetheless, you know that's not what we're offering. What we're saying is you can't go forward without op- opening this door, without ending slavery. Slavery still legal. How are you going to have freedom and slavery in the same damn country under the same damn constitution? That's just not going to work. And once that is done, there's a cascade effect that begins. Uh, areas mm-hmm. of exploration. And legal exploration And social exploration Where we've never had the opportunity to do it Uh, And we have a better chance At reducing the prison population Reducing the the necessities For the militarized police forces To expand our education And social structures And social safety nets And all the things that will make us A better country (laughs) You know
10: Right Right So
7: yeah, somebody is tinging ting, ting, tinging me on my message. Sorry about that. You know, I was listening, or I was watching some, some, something interesting a couple of days ago, and I have this theory. And, well, I guess it's more of a description of a particular type of racism, and I call it racism by omission. While I was touring the country in spoken word, I would always stop and get the local. Uh, rags that the free rags that they have, which is arts and culture and news like that. And then I would count black faces in or black events. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Almost everywhere I went it was as if black people did not exist in the community. Except for a few mm. of the what we call the safe Negroes. Like at that time there was people like uh Bill Cosby uh, and um uh Bill Cosby and Morgan Freeman And uh, a few comedians that everybody felt safe with. That was all you saw, black communities. Well, I'm like, I I just found out where all of that really started at. (laughs) I didn't know. But apparently it started with Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson wrote a um, series of books, a collection called A History of the American People. And in it, there are no mentions of black people, black culture, black anything from Woodrow freaking Wilson. Wow <laughs> Gee It's like that film 1984 Black people don't exist
6: <laughs> Right <laughs> Or you know, in you know, the, the Man in the High Castle It was one of my favorite series to watch And yeah The first thing I said was where are the black people
7: They don't exist uh, so, yeah, apparently Woodrow Wilson was the one who began uh, that strategy of just omitting black people from the history of America. Literally, it's titled A History of the American People. And from what this historian, David Barton, has said, there is no mention of black people in this history.
6: I had to check wow. that one out. The only book I've read of his was Manipulating the Masses, where it talks about the birth of. Uh... American agenda It wasn't by him it was about him
7: He was the uh, 28th President of the United States in case Anybody was wondering 1913 to 1921 Is uh, When he was here And uh, he was a member of the Democratic Party so this was the slavery Democrats that wrote this of course uh he was uh-huh. educated at John Hopkins University. I guess he learned a lot of it there, too probably.
6: Good old Baltimore. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, exactly. I gr- I grew I grew up right, you know, not far from there Well, uh we wow. are
7: at 8:45 mark um, and we've got Jeez. one more clip that we're going to close out the program with. Uh it's nine minutes, so we got about 5 minutes here, right? 45 50. We got about 5 minutes. We can do it. So in this last five minutes, I just want to say thank you for listening, for those who decided that they'd rather hear us than the Super Bowl today and they're still boycotting what's going on in the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm feeling that. Uh, we don't have too many for Rihanna it. showing up here. <laughs> like, why is Rihanna there? Like, didn't she boycott it just a couple of years ago talking
6: about, I don't want to be I, I thought I? I thought that's what she said. What, I thought that's what, what she
7: changed? Said. Yeah, I, I don't know what changed, but I, apparently something changed. It is what it is. So thank you for being here with us in this moment of uh, making history here on Abolition Today, myself and Yusuf Hassan and you, the callers and listeners who have participated in this program. If this is the first time you've ever heard, anybody's ever heard this aired live on a podcast or radio or television show. Uh, we did it here first. So if you hear it in the news somewhere else, remember where, we, where it began, right here.
6: Where well, you heard um, it first.
7: Yeah, it's been an amazing um, speech, and listening to the stories that follow up behind it have been very eye-opening, and it's a reminder that we just have to fight harder for us to go into 2024 with a couple dozen states on the ballot uh, is a priority, and we need to help. So, thank you, and thank you, Yusuf, uh, for making history with me once again.
6: Yeah, thank you, brother. Thank you for uh, you know us being on the, along on the ride together. And I uh, ditto all of your thank yous to our callers, our listeners. Thanks to Mr. Pete for calling in, first-time caller. You know, uh, glad he called in from uh, ETL. Uh, Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Corinne. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors and our partners, you know, because, I mean, we're here because of them. Jailhouse Lawyers Speak.
7: And you, sir when you when yeah. you're done with the with the, the sponsors and partners, would you mind if I introduce, introduce the final segment?
6: Oh, I, I was thinking about that as well. Uh, all right. Okay. All right, all right. Yeah. Okay. So thank you to Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. Thank you to the I Wheel Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, SAMA Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffy Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams. And the Abolish Slavery National Network Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel YouTube.com abolitiontoday Abolition Today Which you've already done And subscribe to our Abolition Today Facebook page For all the news and information and music you hear on this program Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms Remember to join the movement at AbolishSlavery.us To become part of the solution you can text in the exception to 52886. Follow the prompts. This will send a signed petition on your behalf to your congressional reps in support of the proposed 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. So, this entire broadcast has been to bridging the gap. So, Max, take us home.
7: All right. Uh, this is the conclusion of the speech by Frederick Douglass on the anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation in Washington, D.C., titled, I Denounce the So-Called Emancipation as a Stupendous Fraud. And it ends, for us, with a victory. Um, We had just been going through all of these turbulent times in this period when we recorded this speech with this flag being cut down by Breed Newsom and being put back up, with Walter Scott being murdered, um, with the Charleston Nine, being murdered, with a state um, senator being assassinated and having his body drawn in a horse uh, and buggy underneath the Confederate flag to lie in state, among other things. And for us, this was a much-needed victory. When we took the flag down at the capital of the South in South Carolina, we had been flying for decades, and so many people have fought to get that done. And to think that we were all a part of that, Was a beautiful thing. Um, So here you are, part eight the enemy flag falls. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about abolition today.
0: Abolition, Abolition.
7: after day, after day.
11: Parties. The question, to be or not to be, will be decided at Chicago, and I reverently trust in God that it may be decided rightly. If the platform it shall adopt shall be in accordance with its earlier antecedents, if the party shall have the courage and its maturity which possessed and displayed in its infancy, if it shall express its determination to vindicate the honor and integrity of the Republic by stamping out the fraud, injustice and violence, which makes elections in the South a disgrace and scandal for the Republic, and place the man on that platform with a clear head, a clean hand, and a heroic heart. The country will triumphantly elect him. If it, however, should fail to elect him, we shall have done our duty and shall still have under us a grand party of the future, certain of success. I do not forget that there are other great interests besides the Negro to be thought of. The civil service is a great interest. Protection to American industry is a great interest. The proper management of our finances so as to promote the business and prosperity of the country is a great interest. But the national honor, the redemption of our national pledge to the freedmen, the supremacy of the Constitution and the fullness of its spirit and the completeness of its letter over all the states of the Union alike, is an incomparably greater interest than all others. It touches the soul of the nation, which against all things else should be preserved. Should all be lost but this, the nation would be like Chicago after the fire, more prosperous and beautiful than ever. But what I ask of the Republican Party requires no sacrifice or postponement of the material interests of the country. I simply say to the Republican Party, those things he ought to have done and not to have left the others undone. And the present is the time to enforce this lesson. Time has come for a new departure as to the kind of man who is to be the standard bearer of the Republican Party. Events are our instructors. We have had enough of names. We now want things. We have had enough of good feeling, enough of shaking hands over the bloody chasms enough of conciliation, enough of laudation of the bravery of our Southern <clears throat> brethren. We had tried all that with President Hayes, of the purity of whose motives I have no shadow of doubt. His mistake was that he confided in the honor of the Confederates, who were without honor. He supposed that if left to themselves and thrown upon their honor, they would obey the Constitution they'd sworn to support and treat the colored citizens of justice and fairness at the ballot box. Time has proved the reverse of all this. And this fact should cure the Republican Party of adopting in its platform any such soft policy or any such candidate. Let us have a candidate, this time of pronounced opinion, and above all, a backbone. There has been no show of federal power in the borders of the South for a dozen years. Its people have been left to themselves. Northern men have even refrained from going among them in election time to discuss the claims of public men or the wisdom of public measures. They have had the field all to themselves. And we all know now, we all now know just what has come of it, and the eyes of the leaders of the Republican Party are, I trust, wide open. Mr. James G. Blaine, after all, as well as before he failed of his election, pointed out the evil which now besets us as a party and a nation. Senator John Sherman knows full well that the solid South must be broken, that the colored citizen must not be cheated out of his vote any longer, and that the Constitution must be obeyed in all parts of the country alike, that individual states are great, but that the United States, greater. He has said the right word, and said it calmly but firmly in the face of the South itself, and I thank him and honor him for it. I am naming no candidate for the presidency. Any one of the dozen statesmen whose names are in the air, and many whose names are not, would suit me and gain my best word and vote. There is one who has not been named, and not likely to be named, who would suit me, and would fulfill the supreme demand of the hour, and that man is a Southern man. I refer to the Honorable John M. Harlan, Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, who, true to his conviction, stood by the plain intention of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States in opposition to all his brothers on the bench. The man who could do that in the circumstances in which he was placed if made President of the United States could be dependent upon in any emergency to do the right thing. But, as I said, I'm not naming candidates. The candidate of the Republican Party will, in all the likelihoods of the case, be my candidate. I am no partisan. I have no ambition to be the first to name any man or make any ob- man obliged to me for naming him for the high office of president. Other men may do this, and I have no disposition to find fault with them for doing it. If, however, John A. Logan were living, I might name him. <laughs> I am sure he would not allow himself to be trifled with, or allow the Constitution to be defied or trampled in the dust. I have faith also in Roscoe Conklin, whose dangerous illness we all deplore, and whose recovery we profoundly and anxiously desire. With such a man in the presidential chair, the Red Shirt and Rifle, Horseback and Tissue Ballot Plan of South Carolina and the Mississippi Bulldozing Plan would receive no encouragement. I am, however, not here to name them. My mission now, as all along during nearly 50 years, is to plead the cause of the dumb millions of our countrymen against injustice, oppression, meanness and cruelty, and to hasten the day when the principles of liberty and humanity expressed in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. Shall be the law and the practice of every section, and of all the people of this great country, without regard to race, sex, color, or religion. Washington, National Republican, April 17,
8: 1886. <coughs> the Eurovogue. Abolition, every day, every day, every day.
9: What men want and what they will, working for a dollar bill. Sad to see the old slave mill it's grinding slow but grinding still. Walking home, a youth gets killed. Police free to shoot at will. Sad to see the old slave mill it's grinding slow but grinding still. Nine to five, you know the drill. Weekends are a short lived thrill. Sad to see the old slave mill is grinding slow but grinding still. Cover on it over till it's filled. Take until they've got their fill. Sure hurts to see the old slave mill <laughs> grinding slow but grinding still. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own
5: fucking cotton.